welcome, welcome to the third panel in English for the 2020 Burnout Awareness Week. This is the first ever global Burnout Awareness Week, and I'm very happy to have Charlene Rimsha with me here. She's speaking from the US. Um, the Burnout Awareness Week is taking place until tomorrow, December 4th. We still have, besides Charlene's panel, we have a panel tomorrow with Dr. Jerry Puleo. In English, besides the ones we already had earlier today and several uh, talks in Portuguese, our mission with this event is to increase awareness around burnout, help eliminate stigma surrounding the syndrome, and promote a public understanding of its causes, consequences, and treatments. This week is filled with live panels promoting dialogues between experts and personal stories on the subject, which will be broadcast here on YouTube and will be saved afterwards for you to watch. Guests from five countries will be present, including Brazil, Netherlands, where I am, South Africa, and the US, where Charlene is. The event is free, nonprofit, and open to participation of volunteers who want to share their experience in some way. Help us spread the word by posting with the hashtag Burnout Awareness Week and learn more at burnoutawarenessweek.org. I am Carol Mutter-Steiner, a Brazilian writer based in the Netherlands. I went through two episodes of burnout and now I write and speak about my history with the syndrome and what it has taught me about myself, about work and about the world. And here with me, I have the lovely, bright Charlene Rimsche. She's the founder of Everyday Coherence. She's a psychotherapist, holistic lifestyle coach, and creator of the Say Goodbye to Burnout Method. She's living in New York City. Currently, actually, she's spending a season in California, but she'll talk to us a little bit more about that soon. She's meeting with clients virtually everywhere. She helps ambitious and creative professionals overcome burnout without sacrificing their relationships, paycheck, or freedom. Charlene's first book, Burn Bright, will be released in March 2021, available through your favorite online retailer. Welcome, welcome, Charlene. How are you Thank doing? You, Thank you, Carol. Oh, my goodness. I'm, I'm good. I'm numerous things, as we were talking before, right? Right, right before we went live. It's like, I can be joyous, bright, you know, excited, inspired, and a little overwhelmed and unsettled, right? As you had mentioned, I actually uprooted my life from uh, my apartment in New York City that I, that I gave up um, on November 30th and flew to California where I'm going to be for, for three months. I did that yesterday. So, you know, settling into all the feelings, being honest with all of them. And, and that's how, that's in my opinion, the, the way we do it, the way we move yeah. through and maintain mental health by honesty. Yeah. And, and, and navigating through the circumstances the best way we can. Yeah. Uh, we had Kathy Mann earlier today and she was at a neighbor's house and she had a very challenging uh, setup because she had no electricity and she was, and we were talking before, like, it's as if life is challenging us to walk the talk. <laughs> yeah. And these things happen. They do. They do. And, and I believe not that everybody has to believe what I believe. Absolutely not. But I believe that we are absolutely like the year of 2020 is a time of major global change, right? Yeah with the pandemic, with being in, in America, they're in the US, the Black Lives Matter movement that of course is, you know, affecting 
and being followed by the world, et cetera, right? There's so much upheaval on yeah. systemic and global levels and certainly within ourselves as well. And so it's like, we are being forced to look at our stuff and to make real changes. So, and every day and every moment is the opportunity to face it and, and work with it and keep moving and, and heal and heal through it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You said it right. Uh, so tell me, um, so if, if you're watching and you might have or not uh, listened to our interview in the Better Achiever podcast, I interviewed Charlene two years ago, I think. Um, it was Charlene, Kathy and Jerry, some of the first people that I've connected since I started creating content and researching actually content and then creating content about uh, burnout. So it's been also really, really, it feels really good to, to have you here in this moment after so much has, has gone through in my life and your life. I'll launch the book, you're launching a book. So it's, 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 a very, it's a very nice feeling of, of seeing you again after, after a while. And I want you to share with us a little bit of your story with burnout because you're a psychotherapist, but you also have been through a burnout and that has taught you a lot of things that you're using now in your methods. It, it definitely has, you know, it's interesting. It's a little, a little different. Some burnout experts have gone through hardcore burnouts, right? And your mm -hmm. experience with two relapses of hardcore burnout, right? Mm -hmm. For my experience of my mental health struggles in my late teens and early 20s was depression. That was, <laughs> that was more, of, more of mine, which is where I learned how to honor my feelings, reframe unhelpful thoughts, really, really ground into my body to feel that sense of safety and aliveness and all of that, all of that kind of stuff. And then it was in graduate school when I definitely started to feel my experience of, of burnout that really showed up mostly as uh, irritation and, and anger. Um, I tend to be someone that doesn't get irritated by too much very easily. That just happens to be, you know, one of the things like mm -hmm. going as far as that kind of stuff. But I was finding myself getting annoyed, like even by like the person in the subway sitting next to me. They weren't doing anything and i'd be like oh they're i mean this was of course before coronavirus i was like they're breathing too loud yeah. or they're oh what is going you know they're not doing anything they're living their life and i'm having my own stress response to life which was very much showing up with a short fuse and and yeah just feeling like angry and, and frustrated and annoyed and i was like okay so since I was in graduate school for social work, I, I looked into this more and realized, okay, yeah, this sounds, this sounds very much like burnout. And so before it got too big, right? Because certainly awareness, yeah. right? Thank you for having the global awareness week. This is so important, right? Having the awareness um, and prevention as well as early intervention is some mm -hmm. of the absolute most important things for, for burnout, right? Because once it gets, to the point of it, it takes so much longer, so much longer yeah. and more intense and more, more painful to, to, um, to heal from. So fortunately I was able to recognize the signs early enough because of my own self-awareness slash just being in the mental health field. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so I started to really very consciously work with a lot of the, um, the tools that I already had been using with my clients and with myself related to connecting mind and body, really making sure that I honored and valued rest 
just as much as action, the action very much being research, writing, uh, writing, you know, reports, um, my 28 hours of, of internships where I was working with clients that were experiencing trauma and anxiety and, and lots of lots of different stuff and going, okay, wait a minute. Yes, I need to make sure in order to be effective at what I do now and in the long term, right, sustainable well-being, I need to really be honoring my own health, health and well-being. So, whew, fortunate for, for me that I was able to do that before it, before it fully, fully escalated. And then um, fast forward um, about a year or two, um, I decided to start Everyday Coherence. Everyday Coherence meaning everyday practicing mind and body connection, really getting that clear clarity. So it becomes more of your everyday practice. So it's not, it's not so much of something to check off of a to-do list because as we know with burnout, et cetera, right? Everything can just suddenly become a task to check off the to-do list without fulfillment, right? And we need that inner fulfillment. And so instead of it being, okay, checked off like my meditation, I did my mind body into, you know, uh, coherence today. Yeah. It's much more really learning to tap in and listen to the body and say, well, you know, yeah. how does it feel? How do I feel? How does my body feel? What do I need right now? And then, and then giving, giving it that. And, um, and so, yeah, so basically I ended up, um, I didn't necessarily even know at first that I was going to be working primarily with people with burnout, but it, it ended up working out just kind of, uh, perhaps serendipitously, maybe, uh -huh. maybe the universe is saying, yes, this is, this is what you're to do, right? Because initially it was just mind-body connection, you know, mental wellness. And I started to notice most of my clients were coming to me with what ended up being symptoms of burnout. And so I went, okay, this is, this is what I'm doing. And, and that's pretty much how, how, it all, how it all happened. Yeah. And I, I love that you talk and you also work with intensely with the mind and body connection because we often think about burnout as a mental health issue which also is true but it is not entirely it's not the you know, you know it's not the complete truth of the matter because there's also a physical part to it and so explain to whoever's watching uh, what is this mind and body connection in the stress response and how can we better recover and prevent uh, ourselves from, you know, having a breakdown. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, I want to, I want to back up to one thing that you just said and, and give my opinion on the mental health piece. So I believe depression, anxiety, um, all the different forms of how mental health shows up. It's not just a, from the neck up, Yes. you know, issue, all yep. of mental health issues. And then the, the treatment ultimately um, is affecting the mind, the mind and the body, mm -hmm. right? Absolutely. So, yeah. So I won't go into too much, you know, further detail specifically about, you know, about that, but I will speak related to burnout and the stress response, right? Mm -hmm. So our nervous system, the autonomic nervous system is our body, including our, our brains, uh, stress management system. And so it was designed way back when it was developed, like during our, like, Neanderthal cave cave person times to be available to take on whatever we needed to do right so so kind of the the common uh, example is the saber-toothed tiger that that would jump out at us kind of a thing right so 
our nervous system is set up in two modes, the parasympathetic mode, which is like the rest and recovery mode, and the sympathetic mode, which is the survivalist action, what do I need to do kind of a thing. And that second one, the sympathetic mode, is designed to turn on temporarily until the threat is gone, and then it returns back to the parasympathetic mode of rest and recovery. And so way back when that really worked well in Neanderthal times, because there were very specific threats. The saber toothed tiger comes out, the response is either you fight the tiger, you run away, or you play dead. That fight, flight, freeze response that people are hearing more, more and more about. And then once the tiger leaves, then physically you know, okay, the threat is gone and the body's able to return back to the rest and, and recovery mode and keep on, keep on going. So biologically, neurobiologically, we are still, we're still conditioned like that. The tricky thing is these days, right? What, what I'll just kind of say in quotes or whatever, perceived threats, they seem real because they're registering in the body, in the nervous system as real threats. That, and I say threat meaning life-threatening, right? Like the saber-toothed tiger coming at you is or was life-threatening. These days we have uh, sort of, we have metaphoric saber-toothed tigers coming at us from all different directions, um, which could be, you know, the, the uh, like the 20 DMs that like just came in and then the 40 below them that you still haven't responded to. And then the emails that just keep coming in and the alerts on your phone or the alerts on your computer or the phone call from your, um, you know, from your, your wife or your husband or your partner or whoever, or the school calling for your kids, or these days working from home and being a parent uh, and, a, and kind of a teacher and all of these, all of these kind of things. So all of that can potentially, and when it comes to burnout and when it comes to stress in general, those are all received in the central nervous system as potential threats. Mm -hmm. So the conscious mind, the prefrontal cortex up here, knows that, okay, these aren't life-threatening. Yes, they're stressful. I don't know what to do with them. This is too much. But the reptilian brain uh, back here is registering it on a subconscious level of, I might die. So every email that comes in or, or, you know, string of emails or whatever your personal triggers are, right? What are your stress tigers? We could call them the stress tigers are. Then your body has, has a response, an automatic response of the nervous system. And again, it's that fight, flight, freeze response. So either it's a, you run away from it, you avoid it, you try to hit it, hit on, you know, like be very proactive and, and whatever it is. So I'm, I'm not going to stop moving until I'm, I'm done kind of a thing, or perhaps playing dead and kind of like numbing out and you know, that, that kind of stuff. And so the tricky thing in our modern on the go, always on society in our burnout culture that perpetuates this and really rewards people for it is that we are constantly either being bombarded with perceived threats or we're ready on high alert for the next one coming. Yeah. So our sympathetic mode, like I was saying right at the beginning of my long explanation here, is that it's designed to be on temporarily and then return back to rest and recovery. But when you're starting to burn out 
and then what full-on burnout is, is your body is stuck in sympathetic mode. It doesn't remember how to get back to the rest and recovery mode. And so that sense that most people with burnout have of being always on, it's quite literally is your sympathetic survival stress response is on always. Yeah. And, and how can you get unstuck from that? So different ways, and it's not just like, oh, here's a quick tool and you're done, <laughs> right? But a big piece is that awareness. So really starting to recognize what are my perceived threats, right? You don't have to call them perceived threats. You could call them your tigers, your modern day tigers, or your stress triggers, whatever word you want to use, right? So really starting to notice, maybe even make a list of them, start to categorize them and go, oh, wow, when my alarm goes off in the morning, my alarm is a stress trigger. I wake up to it and I have like five to 10 thoughts and they all flood, all of those thoughts about what I have to do today, flush my body with the stress hormone cortisol, which then my, my heart's racing, my palms are sweating, my thoughts are, are you know just busy, busy, busy. Those are all different ways that the body's stress response, that you know that the sympathetic mode has turned on. So first off is starting to, yeah, begin to notice and maybe list the different uh, stress triggers that you have. And then begin to notice, how does it show up in my body? How does my body know that I am stressed out? Because our, again, our prefrontal cortex, our cognitive, you know, higher functioning here can be like, push it away. No, that's no big deal. No, I'm not really feeling that. Oh, I can do that. I'll get to that later, or I'll get to it now or whatever it is. So breathing, of course, helps. But so the body itself does not lie. The body's like, mm -mm, you might be intellectualizing and rationalizing and, and telling yourself and the world that you can do everything and you don't need help and you don't need to stop. But your body is telling a different story. Mm -hmm. Body is a, is exhausted. Not that I want to tell everyone what their experience is, but if this resonates with people, right, that, that your body's exhausted, your heart's pounding, your palms are, are sweaty, you're either like have lost your appetite or you're, you're stress eating or whatever it is, right? So everybody's experience of burnout is really unique in their own. So it's about getting to understand yours, right? So the identifying the triggers, the stress triggers, and then knowing and then learning what they are in the body how they show up in the body to then be able to start to use different techniques, including simple, but not necessarily easy because you need to slow down a little bit, uh, breath techniques, taking mini breaks throughout the day or noticing when you have that, that stress trigger. I'll use the, the morning alarm clock. You know that the alarm clock goes off and immediately it's like, oh, I need to get up. It's like, how about perhaps sit up and do a two, two minutes of breathing. Mm -hmm. Notice where in your body the physical sensations are showing up and even say, oh, these, is, these are my body stress responses. Thank you body for giving me this information because my brain wants to bypass it because I have so many freaking things to do today. Whew, but let me just be with it. Let me just be with it and see how focusing actually on it and not avoiding it, it can seem counterintuitive we want to avoid, but by actually allowing ourselves to focus on it allows it to process through us yeah. instead of just getting stuck as stuck stress. Yeah. So again, not easy, right? The idea of 
what, sitting down for two minutes and breathing first thing in the morning when I can barely even get out of bed and my, right? Like that sounds insane. So at the beginning, there's a lot of heavy lifting to really kind of almost suspend belief that this breathing stuff or focusing on my body is even going to be effective. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And the brain, again, the brain, both the reptilian brain and the prefrontal cortex are going to give you a whole bunch of reasons why this is stupid. It's a waste of time or whatever, you know, kind of versions come in because that's change. And the reptilian brain also doesn't like change because change means possible death, right? Like if you just keep doing every day is the same day or same drudgery with mm -hmm. burnout, it's still, you know, on some level, your brain knows, okay, well, if I just stay on this, I haven't died yet. So I'm yeah. doing okay. Yeah. But yeah. change, if I do something different, I don't know what that outcome is. Mm -hmm. And the unknown outcome of change is very, very scary to the brain. So even making these little changes, like, but, but big changes of say breathing for two minutes is going to send the brain in all different directions. And it's going to be sending, again, sending messages to you, telling you all the reasons why this is a bad idea. <laughs> so that is happening at the beginning, but then, and it depends on, you know, on how your body's, you know, your body and mind respond to it. But oftentimes with my clients, I notice within even like a week or two of them staying consistent with showing up for themselves and breathing and focusing on their body every single day. Mm -hmm. even for a short period of time each day, they start to feel more relaxed. And so their body is sending a message back to the brain. Oh, hey, look, this focusing on our body stuff is actually helping. I feel more calm. And the, and the brain's able to say, oh, yeah, I feel, I feel more calm too. And it creates that feedback loop between the mind and the body of, yes, this is good. Breathing is good. Taking time for myself and noticing my body is helpful mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah um our the the topic of our, our talk today is giving yourself a break why uh when we have so much to do so many virtual places to go so many news to read so many things to learn so many online whatever's happening why taking a break? Can't we handle everything, Charlene? <laughs> well, in some ways, we're told that we, that we should be able to handle everything, right? Yeah. And everything is really too much, especially in this digital age, especially with coronavirus, especially with just everything going on, right? It's quite literally what I call digital TMI, right? Too much information, people. And there can be this sense of, I need to be on top of everything and know everything, right? And I believe that in some ways, the, that's almost the brain's kind of safety mechanism too. Like if I'm not paying any attention to it, then, then it's going to hell in a handbasket, right? There's some yeah. level of like control. Yeah. But the truth is, mm -mm, no. If you just step back and you and maybe you watch a little bit less of the news or check in a little bit less on your social media, you start to, th there's the possibility of realizing, oh, 
I don't need, I don't need all of that. I still can, can live my life fine without it. There's plenty of, there's plenty of information and I don't, and I don't need all of it. Yeah. And I think a piece of that too is the brain scrambles, right? That dis disorganization, like with multitasking, the different studies that they've done on multitasking in a way people, not even just in a way, people are multitasking, right? By listening to a podcast, checking their, their, you know, texting someone, um, whatever it is, right? We're, we tend to do five things at a time on average. And what studies have shown is that multitasking like that actually creates a disorganized brain pattern, which makes it difficult or impossible for us to prioritize what actually is important in this information. So it sort of um, categorizes in the brain that everything's important. So yeah. it tries to get at everything. But again, the brain can, I guess I didn't say that part, but the brain can only focus on one thing at a time. So multitasking is actually a myth. And mm -hmm. when you're multitasking, the brain is toggling focus between all of these different areas. So even though on some level, it seems like I'm getting in all the information, I'm doing all of this stuff, it's really just creating more chaos, more, more disor disorganization. Yeah. One, one thing that um, we talked about in the interview two years ago and that you actually recommended me uh, the book, uh, The Body Keeps the Score about trauma. Yes. And I'm reading the book. I'm reading with other things because reading about trauma is also difficult. Um, and I want to hear um, from you what where is trauma in the body and how, how does trauma relate to burnout? And also, um, if you have also the, 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 the perception that I've been having that, um, and it's not my personal opinion, that this is a traumatic event globally that we're living. It's a long, it's a prolonged traumatic event. And so, how can we deal with trauma and how can we understand and better cope with this global massive traumatic thing that's been happening to all of us everywhere this year yeah yeah i'm glad i'm glad that you mentioned that i'll, I'll speak I'll, I'll speak to that third point briefly then i'll go back to the first yeah. ones and, and then probably go back <laughs> to the last one so i couldn't agree with you more and i think it's it's really important uh, again it goes back to the first step is awareness right it sounds yeah. a little cliche but it's true. If we're not noticing and aware of it, then there's then we don't know that we can we can work with it, right? And it can be a scary idea of oh my goodness, globally we are communally and and uh, interpersonally and personally we are experiencing trauma, right? The lockdowns, the the fear around it, the news that by the very nature of news is designed to create fear. So we stay engaged and focused and getting back to the piece that we were talking about earlier, right? Almost like a bit of an addiction of like, I need to, I need to stay safe. So I need to watch the news. Yeah. It's like, well, what they're doing is, is really creating more fear for us to then be like, okay, I need, I need you. I need you. I need you to stay safe for me to stay safe. <sighs> so yes, we are going through a ginormous traumatic event. So let me back up to the body keeps the score. Love that you're love that you're reading that. 
so when I was in graduate school, I was on the trauma track, meaning that I was learning about the science of the mod, the body and the mind and how it's affected by traumatic stress. And then I also, at the same time, I wasn't, uh, I started reading The Body Keeps the Score by Bessel, Bessel van der Kolk. Um, it wasn't assigned reading, but I read it as kind of like a side piece to it. And mm -hmm. it just, it just helped me to really combine what I was learning in school with more of the, the body, the body connection. And so trauma, right? The, like an event that happens, not that all trauma is just an event, but I'll just use this as an example for a moment. There could be two people that are in the same event, say a car crash with two siblings, as an example. One sibling doesn't end up having any traumatic stress uh, symptoms ever. Mm -hmm. The other one becomes, it really experiences the, the trauma by maybe nightmares, flashbacks, difficulty, you know, sleeping, all different kinds of stuff. And so they're experiencing not trauma, but traumatic stress. So, I mean, a little bit of semantics, but basically mm -hmm. that it could be a seemingly traumatic event. One person does not experience traumatic stress and then the mm -hmm. other person does, right? And PTSD is post-traumatic stress disorder, mm -hmm. right? So really with trauma, it is traumatic stress. Mm -hmm. And burnout is the effects of ongoing and chronic stress. So it's actually the body is responding. The body and the mind are responding in very similar ways to if it was a traumatic event or again, it doesn't have to be an event per se, but it could be a long, like an ongoing long-term uh, abuse or emotional neglect, different, different things. Mm -hmm. um, so whether it's a more something, something coming from that, which then it would be classified more as traumatic stress, or if it is the chronic stress of living and engaging in our burnout culture, the body is responding in that same way. Both are saying we're not safe. Yeah. Yeah. And, and how, how can we deal with that? Well, um, certainly talking to people, uh, you know, I, I wasn't necessarily going to say this, but it popped into my mind first, so I'm going to do it, is really like seeking out mental health professionals, whether it's a therapist, whether it's a coach, whether it's your primary care doctor, what, who, whoever it is, right? Maybe it's a, a naturopath doctor, whoever it is that you really resonate with and trust. I think especially now because it's so global, it's so big that... Um, and then now's the time to fully get rid of the stigma around yeah. asking for help, right? And so, so there's that piece. And then the self-care aspects goes much more beyond, say, getting a massage or a facial. Those are all nice. Not against those by any means. But it's really, again, about learning to, um, first off, be aware. Oh, yeah, this is traumatic. I am experiencing traumatic event and we all are right yes some people a certain amount of people but i think a, sm a much smaller percentage will be like that first um sibling that i mentioned in the car and just for whatever reasons maybe they have enough protective factors going on different resilience things different support systems whatever it is for mm -hmm. a certain percentage of people they're not going to experience that that major stress response but for the majority of us <laughs> We will. 
And I know for myself, just to make it personal for a moment, when I was in New York City, in my one bedroom apartment, self-quarantining, leaving my apartment every two weeks, this was back in March and April mm -hmm. and the of May, leaving my house once every two weeks to pick up two weeks worth of groceries, mm -hmm. right? Really was intense and did a number, number on me, even though I was aware of it, even though I was doing the meditations and the somatic breath work and, and different, like, you know, I'll talk about it in a little while, but like, you know, kind of sh shaking off the, the excess stress and tension, all of that kind of stuff uh -huh. that it took until for me this summer, when I went to be able to go and visit a friend of mine for three weeks at her beach house, where I did what I call float therapy. I mean, there's, I guess there's technically some float therapy is sort of a thing. But I, I blew up my, my hot pink inner tube. <laughs> And I walked it down every single day to the bay that was usually very, um, the water was flat, serene. And I would just lay on that floaty for like a half hour or 45 minutes and the sun would be coming in and I could smell the, the salt, you know, the salt water. And I could, I could see the birds because nature also very much yeah. incredible healing power. Right. So yeah, so getting back to your original question, I was kind of sharing with you kind of my, my personal experience of it. So awareness is important. Definitely asking for help is a great idea. Um, yes, having friends to talk with, but sometimes that can be more overwhelming for everybody, it, depending on, on your situation, on your, you know, your friend's mental health, all of that. So by no means do I say don't talk about it because again, Global Aware Burnout Awareness Week is about getting the word out and it is such an epidemic that stays hidden and we, we don't talk about it, right? Yeah. So yes, being able to talk to friends and having social outlets, very important. But also if it's feeling like, like unmanageable, then definitely asking and seeking out the professional help and really working in my belief with um, practitioners that do very body-based awareness type of stuff. So somatic, somatic therapy techniques um, are, are, a great, are a great way to do that because yeah, the body, the the traumatic memory and the, the stress, it, it's in our cells, it's in our muscles, it's in our fascia. And so the tension, it's basically in a way, the tension is a lot of the stuck stress that stays in our body and it keeps us tight and it keeps us breathing short breaths, like, or forgetting to breathe. All of that, again, is sending a message. It's part of that survival response like we need to go in we need to just hold on for dear dear life it seems like that's what we need to do but the truth is ah, we need to learn to get grounded in our bodies and expansive allowing and releasing on a daily yeah. daily basis yeah yeah true that true that I want to say hi to everyone who's watching, Sibeli, Ellen, hi all, Alini. Thanks for watching. You can watch live or you can also watch the recorded version of this, of this talk. Um, you mentioned that the first few months of the, of the lockdown of, the, of, of COVID were also did a number on you. And how are you dealing with it now? What are you what are you doing personally to go through it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
Well, you know, this, this second or third wave or whatever, whatever wave we're, we're exactly in, and of course, depends on what part of the world you're in and all that kind of stuff. It's a little bit of a different experience for me and I, or quite a bit of different, different experience for me. And I think for a lot of people, and I think a big piece of that is that we're not going through it for the first time, right? Mm -hmm. That, that unknown, that unknown piece, it's sort of like, so we have, we have a little more information. Yeah. And so that helps, I think, mm -hmm. one, right? There's, there's, it, it reduces that level, a little level of the, of the uncertainty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then really for me, continuing to, to do all of the somatic work, but definitely uh, reaching out to friends, doing like social stuff, you know, enjoying, enjoying my time to the best of my ability, making sure, like I realized by like end of May or something like that, I was like, no, I can leave my house and walk in Central Park. And that's a, and that's healthy. And that's a good, that's a good yeah. idea. Yeah. Right. And so we all have our different levels related to coronavirus specifically about our sense of level of safety. Right. Mm -hmm. So by no means am I going to suggest to anyone that their that kind of their boundaries on, on seeing friends going outside, eating at an outdoor restaurant or an indoor restaurant. It's a very, it's a very personal choice. Yeah. But I would still say with that doing what you can within your own level of boundaries to make sure that you're still reaching out, that you're figuring out ways to really get out into the world and receive support, support other friends. Again, not where you're only each other's support systems and you're all like, oh my God, everything's so messed up, right? <sighs> yeah. But being able to really reach out and feel and just feel that, that love, right? Mm -hmm. Feel that love and affection and, and caring for, for yourself and, and for each other is, is a really big one. And, you know, I think at this point too, it's sort of working with, with what you've got. And what I mean by that is everyone's situation, of course, is unique, right? Financial situation, family structure, um, situation, all of that. But one thing that's going on, right, especially with remote work, and all of that kind of stuff is in some ways we have not more freedom than ever. I will, I'm not going to say that, but we have different kinds of freedom yeah. than we hadn't before. And it can, I think, be easy to not notice or kind of look past or, or you know, rationalize it away or whatever it is. But what I've been doing with some of my clients and certainly with myself is kind of saying, okay, I'm doing all of my work remote. It's looking like at least through the winter, more or less, that uh, I'm not going to be seeing pa any patients, any clients in person. Mm -hmm. um, and so for me, I, as a single person with, with, with no children and working remotely, I said, you know what? I could sit in my New York City apartment and, and spend the winter and seeing clients and doing all that stuff. And I know that it wouldn't be like the same intensity as, as last March, just for, for numerous reasons. Again, because I think the, the early of, you know, the intensity of the unknown. With that said, it's still, it was sounded like an okay idea. And I was like grateful for that, like, you know, that I had that as an option, but I decided to expand outward. And I was like, okay, given what I have, yeah. what are some different options? How can I still keep doing work? doing the work that I love, but also doing other things, right? 
outside of, you know, the confines of, of my apartment. And since I am, and I very much realize for myself, and I think for a lot of people, um, that nature truly does have a healing effect. And actually studies, scientific research has shown, interestingly enough, even looking at a picture of like a tree reduces cortisol levels, reduces the stress response. And there's been so many different, right? So many different research related to that. So whether it's a picture, whether you're able to look out a window, add some green grass versus concrete, mm -hmm. and then certainly whether you can get outside, take a walk, be in nature, go for a hike, all of that stuff naturally reduces cortisol. It returns your nervous system back to the parasympathetic rest and recovery mode. Ah, so for me, I decided, okay, well, I'm going to get out of the city for the winter and still keep doing all of my work, but go somewhere where there's lovely mountains and alpine lakes and friends that I haven't seen in a long time. And just really kind of, again, work with what I've got yeah. in, as, in as healthy of a, of a way possible. So I kind of, I guess in a way, not to, not to give particular advice and tell all your viewers what to do, right? But perhaps a suggestion is considering, right? Noticing what you have, noticing where you can maybe expand out in different outlets mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. will feel less constricting and confining. Yeah, yeah, makes total sense. Yeah, sure. And what would you say to someone who had just discovered that they are burned out or they're like going through chronic stress? Mm. Let's see. You know, it, it, it would depend on the person, but I think the biggest thing, and actually it kind of in a way, it goes back to the giving your giving yourself a break, which to me, um, when we were talking about the, um, you know, the, the topic of this is, is yes, giving ourselves a break from media. Um, I always advocate mini breaks throughout the day, right? But what I really mean, what I what kind of this time around, I was meaning about giving yourself a break is the doing your best to honor where you're at with kindness. Mm -hmm. And that is not the easiest thing, especially when you're burnt out, especially when you've received the news and acknowledgement of, oh my goodness, I'm completely burnt out, right? But if there's any way to get a bit of an inkling in there, because there's a lot of self-judgment. Right? Yeah. And a lot, of, a lot of people that are burnt out, we live in a society where we are very hard on ourselves, right? The self-critic is in there judging ourselves, judging others, that kind of thing. And so when you find out that you, you just found out that you're burnt out, immediately there's gonna probably be so much self-blame, right? And kind of a sense of more likely uh, also like hopelessness or what do I do from here kind of a thing. So observing and noticing, if you can, Again, I know this can be really this can be really tricky, especially without like a coach or a therapist or or you know someone to really really be there. But doing your best to observe the negative the, or like the self talk, right? Mm -hmm. And when you notice that you're judging yourself and feeling hopeless and whatever emotions and thoughts are coming up, to just observe them and know 
Okay, you don't necessarily have to know because you're not going to necessarily know, like believe. But I know, I know for you, all you, all you folks watching here, that burnout is really your wake-up call. It's truly your wake-up call to reevaluate and do life a little bit different. It doesn't mean you have to completely change everything that you're doing, right? But burnout is really an indication that your ambition, your drive, which are all amazing and important great things have led you astray that you've been on this like path of ambition and drive and go and now it's a time to use that same ambition and drive to create a different lifestyle yeah. and again it doesn't have to be huge but with some subtle shifts some prioritizing your time, setting boundaries. Boundaries is a big one. We could have a whole session. We could, we could have a whole discussion on, on the importance of boundaries, right? Being able to say, learning to say no to stuff so you can really say yes to your, your recovery mm -hmm. and to your, once you've recovered, your long-term sustainable well-being. And what would you say to someone who's, uh, boyfriend, girlfriend, partner, friend, parent, you know, member of the family who is burned out. Yeah. So we can't force somebody to change, right? We can't force them to realize or acknowledge something if they're not ready for it. And so it depends, it depends on their readiness, right? I guess it, it depends if your friend, boyfriend, family member are coming to you and saying, I'm burnt out, I don't know what to do, mm -hmm. right? If that were the case, if they're ready to change, then showing up and just being like, I love you, I support you, I know that you can recover from burnout because it's possible and many people recover from burnout. It's gonna take time and effort and I'm here in all the ways that I can to support you, whatever, whatever ways you need. So kind of creating that, that dialogue to be, I love you. I support you. I believe in you. Yeah. That's a big one. Yeah. And really being able to be there in, in, in all of, in all of those ways. And then for someone that doesn't necessarily realize that they're burnt out or doesn't want to face it yet, then again, it's all about love and supporting them in whatever way you, you can. And by kind of continuing to poke and say, go get help, go get help. You're so burnt out. Generally, generally does not, is not a helpful, is not a helpful piece. Yeah, true. <laughs> what do you think that the world still doesn't get about burnout? I think two things. One is that it's not just a buzzword, but that it's like a really serious problem, right? And I don't, I don't mean that in a, to say that in a flippant way, but I feel like the good news is we're talking more and more about burnout, but the kind of not so good news, so to speak, is that it's, it's kind of like, it's, it's kind of like, okay, but, but not a lot has changed around it or kind yeah. of like, oh, I'm so burnt out but I just keep doing the same thing every day. That's for numerous reasons, right? Including feeling helpless or not, or not helpless, but like not knowing how to do it differently, right? Yeah. Or I, since we live in a burnout culture, it's like, well, how can I change? 
change when my job is telling me that I need to do all of this stuff, right? So it can be easy enough, especially at the beginning to be like, I'm burnt out, but I'm just gonna keep going, right? Or again, kind of keeping it because it can be scary, really scary to acknowledging yourself that you're, still, that you're truly burnt out. And I know Carol, of course, you can, you can speak to, to this you know, quite, quite well, that it's much easier, right? And it's a kind of a survival and protective thing to kind of go, oh yeah, burnout's a thing, okay. Right, like let's just kind of smooth it over and go, okay, yeah, we live in a burnout culture and, and burnout happens and oh yeah, I might be burnt out, right? Mm -hmm. So yeah, kind of acknowledging it on a deeper level. Yeah. Having that, the courage to be, oh my goodness, the courage to be honest about what's, what's going on. Yeah. Yeah, on an individual level, on a systemic level, on a corporate culture level, all of it. Yeah, we had a talk uh, just an hour ago with Thorsten from uh, Germany. He's a UX, UX designer and we talked about how um, pervasive is that burnout is a secret. I mean, a lot of mental health issues are a secret, but still burnout um, is this big secret that in, in Brazil, it's one third of the workforce. Here is one of every six people. And you, you look around and everyone is doing great. So how come, and then you start or I start or someone stands up and speaks up about it. And then a lot of people turn their heads like, oh yeah, I have that too. So why is that a secret? Yeah. So I think it's a secret because it's particularly, it's, you know, burnout's not only in the workplace, right? But it is a big piece of being in the workplace, right? And in the workplace, it's about showing strength, right? Showing your best foot forward always. It's definitely not about um, showing your quote unquote weaknesses, right? And so to actually admit something like that, it's, there's, I think, a fear, right? A fear of maybe losing your job, a fear of not being taken seriously, a fear of not seeming professional, right? I think that those are all, all really some of, some of the, big, the big pieces. Yeah. And how could giving yourself a break prevent us from burning out or taking us back, taking us a few steps back from walking off the cliff of burning out? Yeah, yeah. Well, again, it's not like, a, like an easy silver bullet kind of a thing, right? Like, oh, I'm just going to give myself a break and, and tomorrow I'll, I won't be so burnt out or I'm going to give myself a break and I'm guaranteed to prevent myself from getting burnt out, right? Yeah. It's definitely a consistent showing up to yourself and a commitment every single day. So specifically related to uh, giving yourself a break, related to, say, self-kindness, um, not judging yourself so harshly is in my experience with, with clients is so much of the stress is related to self-doubt, to second guessing, to, um, you know, feeling insecure, questioning different stuff, right? Judging themselves for saying that one thing or making that, you know, that statement. Uh, for yeah. some people, there's this belief that 
that if I do one thing wrong, my professionalism is going to be questioned, right? And it's a very strong held belief for a lot of people. And so, so much time, so much energy is actually spent in the background doing all of that stuff while we're looking productive, right? It's not like someone's necessarily just sitting there drinking a cup of water and saying, you know, and ruminating on, you know, on that stupid thing, on that you know, quote unquote stupid thing that they said earlier today, right? It's more likely that they're at their computer, they're doing stuff, they're, you know, trying to be productive to sort of counter that feeling of, you know, of, of uh, low self-worth, right? And then all the while their energy is not on what their focus, what, what the focus is here and actually being productive say on their computer or their work, their energy, their mental energy, their, their physical, you know, body energy is all being zapped by, by the negative self-talk and the negative beliefs. So as we can learn to forgive ourselves or, and, or just be kind and say, you know what, maybe that I didn't articulate that statement the best that I could have, but let me see, let me regroup and maybe I'll, I'll be able to, you know, expand on that another time as just as an, as an example, right. Or, Hey, you know what? I just said something really mean to myself. How can I be a little bit kinder right now? And even just kind of asking yourself that, how can I be kinder to myself right now? It opens up room for kindness. It doesn't mean you have to even have an answer, right? It doesn't mean you have to make a list of five different ways yeah. that you can be kinder to yourself. Just opening up to the idea that self-kindness is, is an asset, mm -hmm. is a strength. Yes, yes. Tell me about your book. Oh, sure. So uh, Burn Bright uh, comes out the end of March, 2021. Um, super excited about it and honored to be able to share um, with the world. Uh, about a year and a half ago now, I think, yeah, Quarto, an editor from Quarto Publishing reached out to me, found me on Instagram and said, would you be interested in writing a book about burnout prevention and recovery? And that came out of the blue, which is like an amazing surprise. And I said, well, uh, we discussed it, right? And I said, yes, I would, kind of a thing. Um, and so it was a very interesting experience. I'd never written a book before, never intended, uh, and maybe somewhere in my subconscious there was, but no, no real intention of writing a book about burnout. And, um, and so it's actually, it's going to the printer, like as we speak, I think tomorrow or so it goes to the printer officially. Nice. Um, so all of my, all of my work to, to be, to be done and the, the love and the wisdom that, that I put in there is, is done. So from a burnout perspective, that feels amazing to be like, oh, yeah, I, like I can, I can rest and recover from that. And I did a lot of action and rest, rest and recovery while I was, while I was writing the book, because it was mm -hmm. definitely very, very intense. Yeah. Um, and so it's, it's a book, um, it's a very practical guide, lots of tools. So I have a lot of information about what burnout is and how it affects the mind, the body, all of that kind of stuff. And all of that's important, especially for the intellectual prefrontal cortex that likes that information. Yeah. But there are about six or so exercises, practices per chapter. There's six chapters. 
And so it's very much a book that you don't just read from cover to cover and say, I don't have burnout anymore. Yeah. <laughs> it's very much a book to engage with and really learn how to use simple, not necessarily easy again, because quieting down, breathing, you know, simple, practical, many of them are brief uh, practices to do every single day to build that consistent practice of body awareness mind-body connection, resetting the central nervous system, and creating a, a burnout-free lifestyle that works for you. So mm. it's a very personalized um, approach to, to learning the techniques and then creating a sustainable lifestyle to prevent the relapse of, of burnout from coming. Awesome. Can't wait to read it. Thank you. Yes. Um, well, thanks for everyone who's watching here. We have several people. Um, and thank you, Charlene, for uh, making it work so we could meet again after two years uh, in terms of interview. We, we, we talked um, in the meantime, but um, it was really good talking to you. I appreciate your work and I appreciate your uh, your engagement in um, in coming and participating in the Awareness Week with us. Absolutely, Carol. Thank you so much for having me on, for continuing with getting the word out and and you know inviting myself and the other professionals from all different angles. Right? It's important to have so many different voices and angles related to this subject because it allows for more information, more awareness, and it resonates differently for different people. So thank yeah. you for having me on so I can share my perspective.